Hello, I'm Dr. Stephanie Phillips, joined by Dr. Michelle Seawright, and we are Georgia Medicine Women. We're direct primary care doctors, and we welcome you to our podcast, where we share stories that will inspire and motivate you in your journey towards health and wellness. Welcome to our podcast, uh, Georgia Medicine Women. Um, we're so excited about this week. Um, we have a very special guest, Dr. Michelle Cook. She is uh, a DPC, direct primary care doctor, located in Atlanta, Georgia. So we're going to talk to her today. And uh, I'm Dr. Phillips. I'm here also with our amazing Dr. Seawright. Um, hey. Yeah, hey, um, we are now um, Dr. Cook. Um, I know you're a city doctor, so we're mm-hmm. we're a little country up here. Are you are you okay with trying to get our medical mountain talk today? You want to try to get it? I'm all for it. I'm all in. All right. So our word today is hack, and I'm going to use it in a sentence. Okay. Okay. Hack. Um, I've been hacking all night long. What is hack? Hack means you've been coughing up the lower lobes of your lungs. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be the lower ones. Like you got to get deep in there if it's a hack. That's right. Hacking cough. Like you've, you've probably got pneumonia or pertussis, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the hacking cough. It's not that, it's not that little sprightly cough. I love it. All right. Good job. I'm impressed. Good job. So um, we're going to jump right in and uh, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, a little bit about your history, why you wanted to be a doctor, and tell us about your new practice that you just launched. Absolutely. So I'm originally from Boston, so I'm, I'm technically a Yankee to my Southerners, but I've been in Georgia since college. I came down for Spelman College, and I just stayed ever since. So Georgia's really been my new home. I've had all my adult life here. So I went to Spelman College and then I uh, went to medical school at Morehouse School of Medicine, also in Atlanta, and trained at Atlanta Medical Center. Um, After that, I took a job with uh, what was Tenet Healthcare under Atlanta Medical Center. They were doing outpatient practices and I was a solo doctor there. And shortly thereafter, we got bought by a different health system um, and they took over about two years when I was into my practice. And I stayed with them up until the end of 2022 uh, which has end up being about nine years total until I left and started my DPC. And in a few minutes, I'll talk about how that happened because that's that's a very key part of the story. Um, but that's my story here in Georgia. So even though I'm from the North, I love it down here. You know, I've had all my milestones, got married here, have my child down here. I love prancing through the Georgia mountains at least once a year. So I go up to Blue Ridge quite a bit. Um, so Georgia is definitely my home. Well, you are, we are officially dubbing you a Georgia medicine woman. So um, just know every, from now on, you are no longer, no longer a Yankee. So um, there you go. (laughs) I love it. We have that power. Yep, we do. We sure do. (laughs) Okay. We are now like, we're not in the same room right now, but if I was in the same room with you right now, I would have my little like stethoscope that I have and I would lay it on each shoulder. You are now. (laughs) And I'd be (laughs) dumb. I don't know. I'm making that up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> knighted, knighted into Georgia medicine womanhood. I love yes, it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was been my medical journey. And, um, you know, I'm a family doctor through and through. Um, I, I think I knew pretty, 
I knew early that I wanted to be a doctor, at least I think I do. Um, I was one of those kids, I was smart in school, and so I was like, what do you do when you're smart? You know, you go to law school, you go to medical school. So I kind of was on that track for a while without really questioning it. Um, one of the secret facts about me that a lot of people don't know is I was actually a Spanish major in college. So one of my loves was languages and Spanish, and I wanted to study abroad, and I got to do all of that. Um, and I'm so glad that I did. And two things came out of that that influenced my life right now. One of them is that I think that learning Spanish has helped me with medicine in ways that I can never explain. Uh, what I tell my patients is that, you know, I speak medicine and they don't, and I have to know how to translate that to them. So I think one of my superpowers in medicine is I know how to kind of translate medicine to my patients so that they better understand. Um, medical jargon can be very intimidating. And understanding language and learning how to read nonverbal cues and just really being able to understand communication has helped me so much on my medical journey. I think my patients really appreciate it too. I think that's also why I probably was able to figure out the um, <laughs> the mountain terminology today because you know coming from Boston, we don't say things like that. But I've had to learn to speak Georgia as well along the way. Um, so the other piece about learning Spanish is that's the name of my practice. It's Soul Direct Primary Care, S-O-L. And soul is the Spanish word for sun. And for me, soul represents the dawn of a new day or the beginning of a, of a, a new experience, and a new horizon. And I feel like the sun represents just warming, healing light. You know, we look forward to that every day. It just heals us and has such incredible properties. And I wanted my, my practice to be a healing light for the community. Um, so that's where Spanish plays into my life and, and where the name soul comes from. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Like, I was wondering uh, how you named your practice, and I love how you weaved that part of your life into it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very reflective of me. And I really love, too, the medical, what did you, what is the term you use? Medical translation. So, like, that's amazing. That's a new term I've never heard, but it's a thing. Like, it's so important to do and being able to listen but also being able, we always say, explain it to me in layman's terms. Right, right. I love the way you put that. That's awesome. I do exactly. too. I really like that quote that you speak medical um, and, you know, you can translate that to uh, the ways that patients can understand. I like that. How yeah. you said that. It's good. Exactly. It, it has made such a huge difference in my ability to practice. Cause like you said, not everybody's medically literate and, you know, even, the most professional and most educated people don't necessarily have medical literacy. So when they start hearing about these myocardial infarctions and all this stuff, it just, it sounds crazy. And I think you have to be able to translate in a way that your patients can understand. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be talking to a patient and I'll say something and I just don't even know how to say it in a way that they understand. And I just get frustrated with myself. And I think sometimes I get in a rush and I'll just, yeah. and I, and they have this blank look on their face and I know they don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's right. really hard though. Like, how do you say certain things a certain way? And I just try to slow, we just need to slow down and read those cues. I think that's so important. That's awesome. Exactly. That's right. You can it's always tell that you can do that in DPC. What are you going to say, Dr. C, right? As, as far as those cues, you can always, you can kind of see that either their eyes sort of glass over or they get big um, or, you know, they sort of start to looking around the room, right? Th those type, types of cues can clue you in that, okay, now you need to slow down and, and tell the patient, this is what I'm actually trying to say. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about my, my journey to DPC. Um, so, um, you know, I'm a family doctor through and through. I see 
pretty much every age group. I was seeing every age group up until I started DPC, and I'm now starting at age two plus, and I made that choice only because it can be a little tricky to manage vaccines in um, direct primary care because it's so dependent on, um, vaccines are dependent on insurance reimbursement to make it make sense. Um, and we don't take insurance in direct primary care. So I'm, I'm still figuring that piece out. And because little children really need their vaccines, I've, I've opted not to take them in my practice right now, but I'm hoping that won't be forever. Um, but I was enjoying my career because unlike a lot of doctors who were in the city, I was still seeing pretty much full spectrum. Um, for the early parts of my career, I was even doing some obstetrics. I was not delivering babies, but I was doing prenatal care. And that's kind of unheard of for a, a city doctor to see children and to do prenatal care. And I do a lot of women's health and pap smears and birth controls and IUD insertions. So that's one thing I absolutely loved about my career. But what started to happen is what I think a lot of doctors are going through nowadays where I was just running rapidly into burnout. So what seemed great started to just become way too much, way too much. I got to the point where my panel size was growing and growing and there seemed to be no end in sight. Um, at one point, my panel size was over 3,000 patients. So for what's for context, they say the average primary care doctor probably should have more than 1,500 to 2,000. So I was well over that. In addition to that, I was not supposed to be 100% clinical before I left my, um, my previous practice. I had an administrative role. And so I really should have had fewer patients. And so I had so many patients that I really could not manage everybody. And under the corporate model, there was really no end in sight and they would not allow me to continuously close my panel. It kept reopening. Um, so what I tell my, my patients and people ask me, why do DPC? Is I say, I loved what I was doing, but I hated the way I was doing it. When you have too many patients, you can't see everybody who needs to be seen in a timely fashion. And things were happening that were not okay with me. It was taking months and months to get an appointment with me. When people had acute issues, you know, the cold, the UTI, I never had space to get them in. So I'm sending my patients to urgent care, which is just not what's supposed to happen in primary care. Like your primary care is supposed to be your home. So all those little sniffles and aches, you're supposed to be able to get to your primary care doctor for that. And my patients just weren't able to do that. And then you add to that the documentation, the amount of time I had to spend charting and calling patients back. Because people couldn't get into the office, they um, were sending lots of messages. So my work just seemed never ending. And it's one time, you know, it's one thing if you're having like a bad day or a bad week, but this just became the norm. And I always felt like I was kind of at the shore and just being knocked down by waves every single day. And it was just everything in me to get up fast enough before I got knocked down again and just praying I could get to my feet before I was just swept out to sea in this world of just this, this ongoing demand of, of care that I could not meet the needs for. Um, I learned about direct primary care actually from Dr. Um, Julie Gunther. She came to a Georgia Academy of Family Physicians meeting years ago and talked about starting her DPC. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. That's exactly what I want to do, but I just was not brave enough. Fast forward, um, I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I had more work than I could handle, and I did not see a way out of it. Suddenly, the health system that I worked for started closing down practices and actually closed down two hospitals. Um, there still hasn't been a lot of transparency about why everything closed, but the biggest thing they kept citing was that financially we couldn't make it make sense, that the hospitals were losing too much money, the primary care clinics, which I'm sure many primary care doctors have heard this, but we're often told that we're only um, useful for medical systems so much as we can feed the beast. Like we have to send referrals and mammograms, and if we're not able to do that, then it's not really worthwhile to have us, which is a very um, demeaning message to have uh, to hear over and over again. 
But since we had no hospitals, they really had no role for primary care and they were planning to close my office. Um, I actually got a termination letter for my position saying that, you know, this office is closing, you can no longer stay at this location, you're welcome to stay with this uh, company and go to a new location, but you can't stay here. And that was a no-go for me. Um, I already knew that I was drowning in what I was doing. It was very important for me to stay in the community and not to leave. And so when I was being forced to leave, I just said, you know what, this is enough and this is the, the clear sign I have to do medic medicine differently. So the idea about DPC that I had kind of in the back of my mind now is at the forefront and I saw this as the only way that I can continue to stay in medicine and practice in a way that was sustainable. Dr. Cook, I had heard of stories of um, doctors losing jobs and I just thought that that was something like, I don't know, somewhere else, not, not in Georgia, just somewhere else in the United States. Um, but to, to actually be connected to somebody that that's, that's, and, and to be so close to someone who, who had had that happen to them. Um, I, I'm blown away. I, I can't believe that. Yeah, it was, it was devastating. And, you know, more personally, I'm, I'm a black woman and I work in a community that's mostly black and very underserved. And so there was a lot of controversy about closing these, these locations. Cause I didn't, I lost the job that I was supposed to have, but I was going to be rehired to go to a new community. And the idea of leaving a community that essentially raised me, I mean, it's right outside of Spelman College and Morehouse School of Medicine, and I had really committed my time to being a part of this community and, and trying to help close health disparities. The idea of bringing my talent and my services to another place that I'm not gonna say doesn't need it, but wasn't really my community, never sat very well with me. So, you know, it came to my front door and it just felt like, you know, we can't, I felt like I could not trust the corporations to help bridge the gap and help close health disparities and, and resolve health equity. And if I can't lean on them to do it, I had to do it myself. That's awesome. Well, how's your practice doing? It is going very well. So direct primary care, um, you know, I, what I love about it, one of the biggest, I love so much, but one of the biggest things is I now have control over my panel size and I can have the time with my patients that I need. Um, so I've set all my appointments to be at least 60 minutes. Um, I'm usually in here for up to 90 minutes, but um, I have plenty of time and I just never feel burned out. Even after the longest visit with a patient, it just, it feels remarkable. And I feel like I'm making change in their life and I actually have time to make a difference. Um, for the first time in my career, I'm doing everything. So it's just me on the floor. I have a, a virtual assistant who helps answer my phones and she's off site, but I'm doing all my vital signs and I'm doing the whole encounter. I'm drawing blood, just start to finish. You know, I'm handling all these encounters, which has been a lot and I'm learning a lot and I kind of feel like I'm going back to medical school. But another thing I love, as I said, I can control my panel size. My goal is to get to about 350 patients and we, I opened uh, just under a month ago, so we're, 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 I'll hit the month mark next week, and I'm just over 100 patients, which is just exciting. So the majority of my patients were previous patients of mine from my, from my old practice, but about 25% are brand new patients. Um, so they came to me completely de novo. Um, some of them were referred by other people that were previous patients, and some of them just heard about me just on the street. Um, I've been doing some marketing as much as I can. I've been doing, trying to be very active on social media. So a lot of people have found me that way. Uh, I also did some community events. So I did a talk at the library about my, about my practice and that gained some community traction. And the need for good quality primary care is just so high that I think it helped bring new patients my way. So I have plenty of work cut out for me for the next couple of weeks, getting all these patients onboarded, but the response has been great. 
And for the first time in a really long time, I'm excited about medicine and not exhausted by medicine. I feel like I felt exhausted every day. You know, I just feel like I had to dredge through the day. I love those like small magic moments I get with my patients before, but overall medicine was draining me much more than it was filling me. And I just felt like my time was limited. And I don't feel that way anymore. My life just feels so much more fulfilled. I feel good about the care I give every day. I'm getting home on time to have dinner with my family before it's crazy dark in the evening. I'm not spending my mornings charting my brain away. I'm getting exercise in the morning. So, I mean, career-wise and personal satisfaction, when people say, I wish I'd done this sooner, I really do wish I had done this sooner. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, would you say 100 patients in a month? In a month. Yes, 100 I've been open since January, which I'm only open like a couple days a week, but I've only got 90 patients. So you're doing great. Awesome. Job. <laughs> well, yeah. I have a bigger pool to pull, pull from than you do as well. That's amazing. You should be, I mean, if you keep growing at that rate, you should be full pretty soon. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping I can fill before the end of the year, but you know, I'm, I'm at the point now, as long as I get everybody onboarded, like I'll pretty much meet my expenses. I'll be able to start drawing a salary. Um, in the next couple of months. So my downtime and like the time it's taken for my personal investment in this hopefully won't, won't last for too much longer. Yeah, that's great. I've seen a lot of your social media work. I'm very impressed. Uh, I love how, I mean, you're very pro professional, um, very informative. Um, and I, I love, I, I just love what you're doing. Yeah, I really like your website too. Whoever did your oh, website is amazing. It looks really Thank good. You so much. So it's been a real family affair. That's been a fun part of this too that I just didn't expect. So my um, my my in-laws. I have several sisters who are in-laws, and one of them's a photographer, and she did all my brand photos. Um, another one of my sisters has been a model in most of my photos. So there's a, a young lady that you see in there who's my other sister-in-law, and then my third sister-in-law does a lot of graphic design and, and marketing, and so she designed my website. So it was fun to be able to tap into like the family resources and bring this family girl power together um, to create this great product. And I feel like they've been excellent with me and kind of giving me feedback. Uh, I really appreciate what you said about my social media because I find it fun to do, but very, <clears throat> very challenging. I'm not a natural social media person. Um, just last night, I, I, well, I put a post up yesterday and my sister-in-law, the one that did the website, was like, Michelle, you don't have your website on your Instagram page. And I don't even know where to put that. She's like, but people are asking how to get in touch with your practice. Like, you need to put that information out there. And I still, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go. And I think my mindset has just been, you know, put things out there and then you'll see what needs to be get fixed when it comes back to you. That's exactly what's happening. So it's kind of just been this continual process of like, try something new and see how it lands. Try something new, see how it lands. And that's kind of helping me refine the process. And it's getting a little bit easier with time, but it's it's definitely challenging. But um, I love feeling free again, that I can share my thoughts with patients. I don't have fear of like a corporate system saying, hey, we're going to shut down your social media because that's not in line with our blah, blah, blah. Like that's not existing anymore. So it's it's so nice to be able to connect with my patients, with the community from my heart without fear of repercussions. Um, so as you grow, cause, um, you know, you have a goal of 350 patients, uh, mm -hmm. and you have a virtual assistant and yourself as, uh, the person with all the hats, do you mm -hmm. plan on, um, you know, hiring anybody else or you, is it your vision to kind of do everything? My goodness. I'm so glad you asked. And especially since I'm speaking to my Georgia medicine women, it is definitely my intention to grow and I'm not sure how big, but, 
I think like most docs who end up in DPC, a lot of us have just been very burned out. And most of my colleagues in medicine are just not happy. And many of my peers have, I feel like they've just kind of been watching me. <laughs> They're like, let's see what Michelle Cook does with this. And if she survives, maybe we can do it too. Yeah. So I think I've kind of been like the test in the community. Like, can this really work here? Can it really work in this community where people don't want to pay additional for their health care? Like, can she make it work? And so I feel very motivated to make it work. And once I get to my goal, I would love to bring on other like-minded doctors with me. Um, there's so many out there. And I and my biggest fear is not hitting my goal before they just decide to bow out of medicine altogether. <laughs> you know, like many people are like, look, I'm going to go and be a dog trainer and, you know, forget this medicine thing because it's so soul sucking. Um, but I'm really hoping I can show people there's a better way to do it. And I, we need to restore care in my community. All over Georgia, we have a physician shortage. And I feel like it's just going to get worse and worse if doctors and nurses continue to leave the specialties and leave medicine. Um, so I want to retain as many of those doctors as possible. Um, I'm re retaining close relationships with my medical school. I want medical students to see there's a different way and a new way to practice that's not soul-sucking for us. Um, and so I really want to help bring the next generation in and do healthcare differently. So to all my Georgia medicine women that may be listening, if you are interested, please holla at your girl because I definitely want um, partners in the future, people who really want to practice medicine that's patient-centered, but also not at the expense of their own well-being. You know, so in this early stage, I feel like I found a way to do that. Hopefully I can keep this momentum going, but I'm very motivated to, um, to grow and to bring more people with me. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I went on a um, girls weekend this past weekend with um, two of my best friends from medical school and we hadn't seen each other in four years. We try, we were trying to do something every year, but you know, COVID happened and everything. And so they were just like pe peppering me with pe questions because I hadn't gotten to talk to them a lot. And, mm. and they're just like, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you need to do it too. You know, it's just, we're all, I think it's really good for us to break the ground. And I think as time goes on, these practices are going to explode. They're going to come up everywhere. And we've oh, talked yeah. about that before. And so I just, I'm really excited about that. And, and the fact that we love it means they're going to love it. And something else is the patients love it, right? Yeah. I mean, the patients love it. Like it's, they're all about just signing up for the membership, you know? And I really, yeah. yeah I mean, when I was first opening, they were like, oh, you think people really pay that much? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. And they are, you know, and it's, it's worth it. It's worth a cell phone bill, you know, to come to the doctor and have the doctor's cell phone number and all that stuff. So it's, it's a great thing that we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. I, my patients already, I mean, I haven't been open for very long, but already um, are just so enthralled with the, with the, um, the model. Um, I did a social media post the other day about a mom that called me because her son had hand, foot and mouth. And then, you know, he's recovering, but his hands and feet start peeling. So the doctors, we know that's common. It's nothing to worry about, but it freaked her out. So, you know, she sent me a text, she sent me a picture and she Hey, Dr. Cook, is this normal? And I was like, yeah, he just had hand, foot, and mouth. You're going to see that. His nails might fall off. Just preparing her. And we closed the encounter. And all of that is included in her membership, right? So if you think, if I think about what would have happened when I was in my previous fee-for-service practice, she would have called the office. My schedule would have been full. She couldn't have gotten to me. She would have left a message with the nurse. Maybe I saw it by the end of the day. Maybe I didn't. Maybe she got too worried and went to urgent care and paid another $150, $200 out of pocket to figure out that this was a normal condition if someone could have just had the time to listen to her. So the model allows that, that doctor-patient relationship the access. And that's just worth its weight in gold, especially when you compare it to what else is out there right now. 
So I think people at first were like, well, I just want a good doctor. And if I got this insurance, you know, I don't want to pay extra or pay this, this monthly membership fee. But when you see how valuable it can be to, to, to get to your doctor, to not have to come into the office all the time, to leverage technology like text messaging and virtual visits and still get incredible care, it's awesome. Um, today I'm seeing patients and all but one of them has been virtual and we've done great work. So they're in their living room and they're having a full encounter with me. I'm sending their medications and they're showing me their dog in their house and we're, and we're building that connection. And I think it's actually much better care and higher quality care than anything I was giving before into my fee-for-service model. All right. Well, people listening in the um, Atlanta area, let's, what's your website? What is... Um, your Facebook or, or socials, how can they find you? Absolutely. So my website is www.soul-dpc.org. So I'm .org, not .com, but soul, remember, is S-O-L-dpc.org. That's my website. On Facebook, you can find me at Dr. Michelle Cook. Um, so Michelle Cook has a lot of redundant letters. You know, I have two L's for Michelle and Cook has an E at the end. So I'm the Michelle with all the extra letters. And then on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Michelle Cook. So I'm active on all those platforms and you know, reach out at any time. Um, I'm just excited to connect with other doctors and just connect with members of the community about direct primary care and just a better way to build care as we move forward. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Cook. Um, lots of good information, and I really uh, hope that your uh, your practice continues to grow. Um, thank you all for listening to the podcast today. If you would like uh, to give us more uh, suggestions on any other podcast, things that you want to hear, you can contact us at georgiamedicinewomen at gmail.com or our Facebook, Georgia Medicine Women. Um, and we'd love to hear any suggestions you have, uh, feedback, um, give us some reviews. We, we, we need, need and love all to see all those things. Yeah, we need some more Medical Mountain Talk, too. So I'd love yeah, to send it questions come in about some translations from, from you guys. So send us some words. Um, and thank you for tuning in. 